1: All you movie fans out there, this is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Addict Headquarters. We have a wonderful show for you today, folks, because we're replaying a fascinating interview with actress Katherine Houghton, the niece of legendary film star Katherine Hepburn, in honor of Hepburn's 105th birthday celebration this month. During this revealing interview, Houghton shares her candid reactions about her famous aunt's private life, and because she portrayed Hepburn's daughter in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Houghton also talks about that poignant experience. Among Houghton's other films are Kinsey, Ethan Frome, The Last Airbender, and Billy Bathgate. She's also a successful playwright, popular lecturer and award-winning stage actress who made her Broadway debut in 1965 in Ruth Gordon's A Very Rich Woman, and won an Obie Award in 1969 for her performance in Scent of Flowers. In addition, she's played roles in over 50 regional theater productions, and as a playwright, her credits include a one-woman show about Louisa May Alcott. Plus, the plays Best Kept Secret, Buddha, and bookends a musical. Yay! Now, after the taped interview, which James Colt Harrison and I conducted, we hope to hear from Nancy Lombardo of Blog Talk Radio's Comedy Concepts, who will share her reactions, hopefully, and impressions about Katherine Hepburn's remarkable acting career. But first, I want to tell everyone that the chat is open, and I see that T.L. Walker is already signed up for the chat, and we hope he will be joined by um, other listeners because, after all, the chat is where it's at, and we really do appreciate the contributions of uh, our chatters. Now, let's hear from Catherine Houghton. After a few delightful Get Acquainted Minutes, James and I finally decided to get down to business in this interview, beginning with some important questions about Catherine Hepburn and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which was a landmark movie, as you'll appreciate after hearing this interview. And here's the way that conversation went down. We should get on with the interview, and um, fine. I, I don't want to don't want to keep you all morning, but I'm just so glad that we that we do have you here. And I I thought that James might like to start out with the first uh, couple of
2: uh, questions. So James, you're on. Uh, oh, I'm on. Okay. Well, let's see.
1: He's always on. though. No. Okay. <laughs> oh.
2: <you're... laughs> um, well, I guess the obvious question would be how did Katherine Hepburn influence your acting career? Well, you you know James, what what I would like to
3: to to talk about first is Guess coming to dinner since that is the the role that I'm best known for in in yes. the in the world. Um very often people say to me, you know, what what did that mean for your career? And I think that is one of your questions actually. Um and it's It's a very hard question to ask because I think an actor who appears in a film uh that's had such popularity and notoriety over the years you're really the last person to know um exactly what effect it's had on you. but in answering this question uh many many times i I think that there there are three main aspects uh in trying to answer it and uh, the most important one is that, for me, it was a great life experience that that that's the most important thing about it a great honor, a great life experience and um I think too that the most important thing to me as a person more than than fame and fortune is having great life experiences because I do feel we we come this way once, and uh, to have wonderful uh, life-changing experiences um, is a a great uh, piece of good fortune. Now, uh, the reason I say it was a great life experience for me um, is I was part of creating such an important uh, and worthwhile fable. I, I think of guess who's coming to dinner really is a fable. It's it's not realistic. It's a fairy tale. Yes. A, a fairy tale for the screen. And and uh, aside from all the wonderful other people in the film um who are always a great pleasure to see, it the story is a very important story and continues to be a very important story, alas, uh which is that judging people for the quality of their soul is is more important than judging them for the color of their skin or some other superficial quality. And I think we have to keep telling that story uh, again and again since we never seem to learn the lesson it teaches. But um, I think uh, as a very young person starting out um, in the business, I'd only done a few plays and a a few um, really amateur kind of films. This was... As a person, this was a a tremendously important thing to me to be part of because it was so high quality. And it really made it very difficult for me to do uh, films that I I didn't for some reason or another. Some perhaps would say, but why the hell did you do that film? Uh, But there was always a reason behind what I did, not, not just making money. Um, but trying to do something that I felt had some importance to to its uh, content. The second thing was that it was very helpful to me as a theater actress to appear in that film because it was such a huge hit. And naturally, a theater producers who are concerned about box office like to cast what they consider names in order to sell tickets. So it opened up lots and lots of theater opportunities for me. And I was very, very lucky to be able to play um, many, many of the great classic roles, whether it was Chekhov or Ibsen or Shakespeare or Tennessee Williams or Eugene O'Neill or whoever. And I, I don't know that I would have had that opportunity in the theater without that film. And uh, third and least important um Doing that role in that film was very problematic for me as a young film actress because it was my first big movie role. And um, Joey Drayton, uh, as I'm sure you would agree, wasn't really a character. Uh, she was an idea. and. Uh, oh, I hadn't thought
1: of it that way.
3: As an actress, you can't reveal uh, who you are playing an, an idea and, and my primary job was to play the idea it had nothing to do uh with my personality i certainly believed in the idea with all my heart and soul but i couldn't really be a personality you know i couldn't be my personality
2: Yes. yes. so
3: i think that hollywood just didn't really know what to do with me And um, if I'd started out playing in a more contemporary kind of film where I did play a character, a character going through a divorce or a character who was a single parent or or issues that were issues at the time, a a woman who uh, was fighting for some kind of career post, uh, uh, being the the 60s and the 70s, the whole women's lib thing, you know, I could have been more of who i am as a person but as i say compared to the other two aspects of doing that film that's really very unimportant and um i uh i really am have no regrets of course about doing it it was a great honor a great thrill and i am so (laughs) amazed and and pleased that the film has continued to be so popular
1: well, it's just it's a, it's got such a great uh, following and and such a social consciousness to it as well as uh, being entertaining and fantastic performances. You were awesome in that film. Well, uh, you're very kind, Catherine. You were, and I I was wondering because so many things were happening um, there, you know, behind the scenes. I was wondering if you'd be willing to share us anything. Um, behind the scenes that was happening there uh, between Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy. Uh, we know that that was his last screen role. We know that uh, that Catherine Hepburn won uh, one of the two Oscars. And we know that the film is just uh, stands out for, for all of us as, uh, as a film that has meaning to it, as well as entertainment value. So, uh, so here we have someone who was actually there. <laughs> so can you tell us any, anything that, that happened during the filming that, that you thought would be interesting to share with our listeners? Well, uh, it was a very
3: um, stressful set because um, Spencer really was dying. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Sidney Poitier and I started the film up in San Francisco. It was the only location shooting that was done. And the first day we did the shots uh, coming in from Hawaii uh at the airport and getting into the taxi cab and going to the art gallery. And when I got back to the hotel that evening my aunt called me. She said the film has been canceled.
4: Huh. And
3: uh she said and the reason is that Columbia Pictures cannot get insurance for Spencer. Oh, my so gosh. um I said okay, well I'll I'll get a plane reservation and come back tomorrow to LA and uh, then she called later on and said we've made a deal and um, the film is going to go forward so don't don't come back to LA and I said well what's the deal and she said well Stanley Kramer and Spencer and I have agreed not to take any salary until the film is completed
1: oh my gosh Mm-hmm.
3: some people think it was only my aunt and Spencer that agreed to that but it was Stanley as well that's how much they wanted to do the film and um, so we went on but every day was precious and Spencer could only shoot a couple of hours a day because um, of his health sometimes not at all and um, needless to say my aunt was under an, an enormous amount of pressure. Oh yeah. And this was the love of her life. No matter what some of her biographers say, uh, this the, I I was there. I know. I knew Spencer from the time I was a small child. He was part of our extended family, and um, she she really saw that the end was coming, and it was terrifying and so sad. So. Um, it wasn't a lot of fun, let's put it that way. Now, there were many, many other things that were going on uh, on the set, too. I think that that Sidney Poitier, who had been um, uh, recently attacked in the press uh, for being an Uncle Tom and this and that and the other thing, was really seriously considering not doing any more films. And this was after he had done... Um, the uh, the wonderful film about Mr. Tibbs, uh, James, helped me here, um, in the heat of the night, and right. uh, and and um, the film with Tony Curtis, the Defiant Ones, I think it was called, right in this country,
0: Great and on film. and on
3: and on. He'd done so many brilliant films, and um, but the the attacks that he was getting in in the press were very disheartening to him. Um, So I I got to see, what you might say, backstage, him going through a very uh, life-changing kind of examination of of what he should do next. And and he said primarily what he was thinking of doing was becoming a director. Now, he didn't quit acting altogether, obviously. I think he did To Sir With Love the following year and and various other things but i think if you look at his film resume he didn't act as much as he probably could have after that so that was a a very dramatic thing that was going on backstage and well, is
1: that true oh i'm sorry i just yeah, before I forget this i wanted to know if this is true because you mentioned a um, biography and i'm i just finished this uh, the charlotte chandler biography i know where i'm going Which um, it's it's really quite an interesting read, but um, I think that she indicated that uh, Catherine Hepburn has never watched Guess Who's Coming to Dinner because of the of how hard that movie was for her to make because of what uh, Spencer Tracy was going through, and that she actually cried. But you know back on the set I mean during that last speech that Spencer Tracy made is there any truth to to those things that were in that biography
3: Well of course she cried
1: <laughs> I mean yeah
3: she would have wouldn't you if if it was your yes. great love that was dying and you knew that they were making the last speech in a film that they would ever make
1: Absolutely I
3: mean <laughs> How can people even imagine that she wouldn't be tremendously touched? She would have had to be a rock, not to be touched. Everybody cried.
1: It was. And she uh, deserved it the was, Oscar for that movie too.
3: I mean, I thought. Well, she was, I don't she think that it was her Oscar role, frankly, but. Um, ah. uh I think that she and he deserved it together, and that's what she always said. She said, "This Oscar is for me and Spencer," and. Yeah. um and our life, uh, our life's work, and that's what it was for. And very often Oscars are consolation prizes or uh, honoring you for something other than the role you're playing. She should have gotten it for playing Joe and Little Women and,
1: and any other. Yes, for sure.
3: Yeah, any other number of parts that were really great acting roles. This wasn't a great role for her either. She also was playing an idea but she was already such an established personality that she brought that to the role and the role was written for her by uh William Rose but of course um she the, she was genuinely moved and but everybody was the whole set was crying i was sitting there watching them and they everybody was crying
1: so um i don't think that's such a startling revelation well, I didn't mean to interrupt uh, James. I know he has uh, a few more questions, definitely that he would like to ask. So, so Jim's. Uh, I
2: apologize. Go, go oh ahead. No, no, it's fascinating to listen to Catherine because she's one of the better interviews I've ever uh, been involved in. Because many Me stars, too. yeah, you know, many stars don't have a lot of interesting things to say, but uh, you certainly do, Catherine, and we appreciate that. You're very kind, Jim. James. Uh, uh, oh, going back, I think the movie you were referring to, uh, Sidney Poitier, was "Call Me Mr. Tibbs" about the school teacher in uh, England. Uh, that was the film you were referring to. Well, previously,
3: it, he's, he's "Call Me Mr. Tibbs," I believe, is a line from "In the Heat of the Night" that he did with Rob Steiger, when a cheeky southern uh, officer says, uh, "Hey, boy, uh, do this," and he, and he says to him, "Call me." Mr.
2: Pibbs, yes. right? Oh, yeah, I, I think you're right. And yeah. with
3: love, I think, was the film he did with the kids in the in the rough school. And oh, he,
2: I think you're right. Oh, my goodness. Am I, I right? Wrong. Yeah, I think I'm wrong, and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> oh, no, believe me,
3: I, my film history is very spotty.
1: Uh,
3: well, I guess mine
2: is spottier. <laughs>
3: Just uh, happened to know that one. Just happened to
2: luck out on that one. <laughs> that's, a, that's
1: right.
2: Well, uh, I, was I, did wondering. Have a, I did have a, Go ahead. a, a question. And uh, uh, despite all the tension on the set and everything for uh, all the other actors, what was your biggest challenge when you were filming Guess who's Coming to Dinner? Because it was one of your earliest films, and you weren't well-versed in Hollywood and all that.
1: Oh,
3: I certainly wasn't. I um you know, uh, James, I was I was really too young to be terrified. I think if it, another five years had gone by, I probably would have been frozen with horror <laughs> at, at having to work with all those people. But um, ex- except for Sydney, whom I didn't know before the film um, of the th- three major stars, I, I knew the other two, and I knew them personally. So yeah,
4: yeah. it was
3: like making a home movie. In yes. in that sense. You know, I wasn't acting with um with uh Betty Davis and and uh mm-hmm. and Cary Grant or something. I was acting yes. with two people whom I knew as, as Aunt Kat and Uncle Spence. And yes. mm-hmm. uh Sidney um who who was coming in well he writes about it in his book, but <laughs> there's some very funny um, moments on the set because he was old enough and wise enough to know that this at that time was big theater history and i didn't have any concept of that at the time and and he was very nice to me he treated me like a, a kid sister and he knew I'd been a philosophy major at, at Sarah Lawrence College, and he he was very amused by that. And we talked a lot about philosophy and politics. And he just couldn't have been kinder. So
2: I yeah. felt very
3: at home with him. I didn't feel he didn't do some sort of star trip on me and make yeah. me feel awkward. I I felt very confident with him. And. With Isabel Sanford and, and um, Cecil Calloway, they they were just all nice people.
0: Yeah. So, like
3: and they were all very aware of what was happening uh, with Spencer and Kate. And uh, Spencer's uh, slipping away. And, and I think that they knew that there was a lot of tension, therefore, in my personal life. So they bent over backward. And the makeup people and the hair people, all those people were very very kind. So for me it it was a a question of of survival but not in the usual way that a a young person coming into a hollywood mm. film it was really just okay this is a really difficult situation because uh Spencer is extremely ill and we don't know whether he's going to live from day to day so i just have to really be on my toes and do my part as best I can because we're in a crisis situation here. And also, I was very aware, and Stanley talks a lot about this in in his interviews, that Columbia Pictures thought this was going to be an awful film.
2: They had no confidence
3: in it. They thought it was going to do horrible business at the box office. And that the story was uh, much too controversial for America and, and on and on and on. So there was
1: tension everywhere.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: Well there were still four that's back in nineteen sixty seven, there were still something like fourteen states where racial intermarriage was uh, banned. Oh, you're right. Was, you're right was illegal the following
3: year Martin Luther King was assassinated. The following year, uh, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. It, you know, for his attacks on organized crime. it, it was it was a very very politically
1: uh, explosive period of our history. Yeah, it was it, definitely. And this, uh, I understand that the Columbia Pictures. I, I guess they they didn't even want to open it in the in the south. No. And. Then I think it was just as successful. Eventually, it was just as successful in the South, and I, I've heard that at opening night, there were just crowds around the theater waiting to see the see the movie. That must have been. Given, given um, <laughs> you and your aunt and Spencer and uh, the director and Sydney Poitier some satisfaction that there were so many people who were interested in in this film.
3: Well, I I I don't know about Sydney because I don't remember ever re- saying what. Were you surprised at the success of the film? Um, but certainly Kate and I were surprised uh, because of what we had been through uh, at Columbia with them feeling that this was going to be an extremely
1: unpopular film well it i'm so glad that they were that they were wrong and uh it's going to continue to be be popular and you know Catherine you were doing this this tribute next Tuesday too to your aunt and you're one uh, you're the only person that I know who knew her um as an actress, you know working with with her in this in this film and as a and as a person, so um I'm really eager to know what your most cherished memory is of of Captain Hepburn. I don't know that I have a most
3: cherished memory. I knew her for a long time and have lots and lots of memories of her um, I don't know that there's one that that i I cherish in that way. she was a very complicated human being Um, not an easy person to be with she was very powerful and strong and um, gave the appearance of being tremendously self-confident but uh, in, in her private life she was actually terribly shy and arranged her life so that she was very protected, and I think it was observations about her like that that were of particular interest to me, that somebody Mm -hmm. whose persona was so powerful and and confident and uh, fascinating to people that, that people assumed that's really who she was all the time. and. And she wasn't, and and that made for a very interesting uh, study of of a human being, and and it intrigued me to see her di- the different faces uh, uh, of her, her her persona being one thing like a mask, and then who she really was underneath
1: all that in the family. I see, so uh, quite a quite different. Uh, in uh, the biography I was mentioning, um, Chandler says. That, uh, that your aunt referred to uh, herself as an actress as the creature.
3: Yes, yes, and, she, wrote, she talked about that in many interviews. Um, she called that persona thing I'm talking about the creature. I, I suppose in thinking about it right now that, that some of the best things about my aunt um, that, that I remember was her kindness to older people. And there were several people in her life, like a a, a doctor named Dana uh, Atkins, I believe that's right, who was a very famous doctor when she was a young woman up at the Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. And I even think one of the pavilions up there is Atchley, Dana Atchley, that was his name. The Atchley Pavilion is named after him or for him in honor of him. And when he was was very old and and um, couldn't read anymore, she we would all go out to New Jersey where he lived, and uh, around lunchtime, and bring lunch, and then she would read to him the newspaper or something, medical oh. journal that that he wanted to hear about, and uh, little acts of of or really great acts of kindness that a lot of people. Wouldn't bother with in her position. However, that was this—that was her inner secret person. Uh, mm-hmm. She felt more at home being with a man like Dana Ashley, who reminded her of her dad and the the world that she grew up in. Um, that made her feel as though she she were home, and she oh, felt comfortable doing that. I see. And then well, her uh, her her husband, um Ogden Ludlow Smith, uh they resumed a friendship um after Spencer died and he also was not in in terrific health. And uh Kate would go up um Phyllis, you know who Phyllis Wilborn was, her mm-hmm. uh English uh secretary companion. Yes. And Nora would make a great lunch. Nora uh, Moore Considine uh, would make a great lunch, and would pack it in picnic baskets and drive it up to Connecticut, where, where Luddy lived. And again, you know, she she would say, "All right, now we're doing this," and she'd bustle around and she'd say, "There are too many cats in this house," and one thing or another. <laughs> but basically, it was all very dear, and and she felt needed. And, of course, he loved it. I mean, here was the love of his life who had left him, divorced him in a rather um, peremptory fashion. And then coming back into his life in his old age and and giving him such pleasure and uh, such fun, and, and we always had a great time, um, These were, that's who she was in her personal life. She was personally tremendously generous and i suppose that that's maybe what i cherish most about her
1: well that that is definitely something to cherish and i agree with uh, james catherine you are a terrific uh, person to interview i but i can't believe that we that we're running out of time and i wanted to make sure that you had a chance to talk about what you're up to now what are did oh, i actually i'm i'm doing something that that could be rather provocative and interesting.
3: Oh. And that is, um, uh, we're opening in a play by Tennessee Williams uh, called the, the Pretty Trap, which he wrote around 1940, before he wrote The Glass Menagerie. And um it's either going to infuriate people or fascinate people, because it's a completely different take on Amanda and Laura and Tom and Jim the four characters that ended up being in yeah. The Glass Menagerie. Uh, oh first of all, God. it's a comedy, which mm. is right away very different from The Glass yeah.
1: Menagerie. Not for sure. that's a, Definitely, I didn't laugh once any time I watched that.
3: <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> and second of all, all
3: of the characters are very different. Maybe Jim, the most like uh, The Gentleman Caller in, in what ended up being The Glass Menagerie, but the Amanda and the Laura... Um, I have no proof of this, but I suspect that the Amanda and the Laura in this play, The Pretty Trap, which will open uh, on 42nd Street at the Acorn Theater, I think around the 5th of August, um, I have a feeling that these, these ladies might be closer to his mother and his sister than what ended up being in The Glass Menagerie and i I have to say, I've never had any interest in playing Amanda. I've played Laura twice, but um uh, I always found Amanda rather disagreeable and and uh annoying
0: mm-hmm.
3: but this Amanda is an act. well James, you will be very interested because this is a Southern woman who is a survivor, and oh, she yeah. is not nostalgic about the past. She has a great sense of humor, great practicality, and her object in life at this point that the play opens is to get this daughter married because she sees that she's not interested in having any kind of career. And the gentleman caller comes and all I'm going to tell you is it ends happily.
1: Oh, oh my
3: gosh. <laughs> <What a laughs> You can see why I can I'm hardly saying.
1: wait. I can hardly wait to see it. That sounds, that, it sounds so great. Well, I just uh, am so impressed with, with all the things that you've done. I mean, I know besides Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, you've had uh, over 15 uh, other movies and TV roles, and then you've also become a playwright. A very successful playwright, and you you do lectures. I can see why. I mean, you are so articulate, and we just don't have time to cover all of this. But we'll have to have you back on the show when when we can spend the whole show just talking about uh, your your philosophy and, oh, I, and your experiences. I, that's interesting.
3: <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Betty Joe and and Danielle, and James. It's been a great pleasure for me to speak with you.
2: Oh, it's been great And we have loved
1: every minute of it. Uh, Thank you for being so candid and so informative, and we'll look forward to seeing The Pretty Trap and also to uh, having you back on on the show. So uh, bye for now.
4: Bye for now. And I think I've, I
1: muted myself, <laughs> so
2: I'm sorry about that. I just wanted to
1: let you know if you didn't hear this that uh, Catherine Houghton received glowing reviews for her work in The Pretty Trap. And I've been thanking the people in the chat, comedy concepts, T.L. Walker and Cal Pote, <laughs> saying I had so much fun in the chat. And I forgot to unmute myself. I was having so much fun. Now I also want to thank my Facebook friends who sent me their picks for the uh, their favorite Hepburn movies. Marilyn uh, Ferdinand picked Holiday, Love Among the Ruins. That was a, a TV movie that she made with Laurence Olivier. And Summertime, Deb Hockenberry picked The African Queen and Bringing Up Baby. Catherine Long chose Pat and Mike and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Denise Casino likes The Philadelphia Story and On Golden Pond. And... Uh, Donna Hill picked Holiday and the Philadelphia Story and desk set, so those are some excellent choices and and Thank you very much for your contributions Now. I think Nancy Lombardo is in the green room, ready to be brought out onto the stage, so I'm going to say hi to her right now. Hi, Nancy.
4: oh hi, Betty Joe. You won't poop you. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you sound, you sound
1: exactly like Catherine the Hepburn. The
4: are in bloom again. What a strange and wonderful flower! How strange that the flowers that graced my wedding day should be with me now. <laughs> that is, that is just
1: great, Nancy. You know, because Catherine Hepburn's voice is so distinct, it just wouldn't be right to have a uh, show about her and not have somebody on who could do justice to her voice, which you <laughs> certainly do. I always would try, I would whenever I would see a Katherine Hepburn movie, I would, you know, pick out a line that I thought was just great from the movie and then I would practice and practice trying to sound like Catherine Hepburn, but I I couldn't you know, I just couldn't do it. So Thank you so much. Um, <laughs>
4: do you have Do you had have? a lot any... of great lines? My favorite all-time movie, uh, I mean, it's hard to be, I mean, Philadelphia Story is good, but just all around, the, the female cast of Stage Door.
1: Yes. Well, that was a great one because that had, uh, oh, my gosh, it had Katherine Hepburn, it had Ginger Rogers. Oh, they had some and great Noah, dancer,
4: and they but, and it was mostly improvised. She That's showed up on the right. set, That's and he tr- said, no, I want it improvised. She goes, I need a script. And he goes, no, we want the lines to be natural and improvised. And I love the line, Ginger, she, Ginger Rogers takes out a fur out of Catherine Hepburn's luggage. And she goes, fresh kill. And she goes, shot it myself this morning. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was good. I,
1: I think that was good. But, you know, one she, uh, this Catherine Hepburn, she was so great in comedy. Or uh, drama, you know, and anything, anything in between. And and one of the roles that I I really just loved her in uh, was uh, in uh, as Eleanor of Aquitaine.
4: I loved Eleanor lion. of Aquitaine, the Lion in the Winter. Yeah, what the Lion in the Winter. What would you have me win- do? Give up? Give out? Give in? <laughs> I know. I love. Yeah, him, I love yes. <laughs> that was,
1: Well, here she is, playing a um, the the queen there who was trying to. Sort of manipulate Eleanor. Uh, yes, yeah,
4: she was Eleanor yeah, Hel-
1: Yes, and she's trying to uh, manipulate uh, Henry the Second, played by Peter o- O'Toole, and uh, you know they're trying to, trying to decide which son you know to pick to be his uh, heir, and uh, you know it's very very uh, complicated, and uh, there's all kinds of uh, intrigue, political intrigue, and uh, that one line that she says um, is. What family doesn't have its ups
4: and downs? (laughs) What family doesn't have its ups and downs? But I like what she said. Of course we have knives. It's 1138. We all have knives. (laughs) (laughs) She was just,
1: she had so many, so many uh, wonderful lines in in movies. And um, I guess I wasted quite a bit of time when I thought I was talking and I had muted myself. So. (laughs)
4: And now we'll take a moment so of silence Catherine i I'm so sorry about that. But you
1: but I want but I want to tell everybody to check out your uh terrific uh blog talk radio show comedy concepts and your C D that's just absolutely hilarious.
4: Color me crazy. Uh, available on CD Color Baby. Color Me Crazy.
1: That's exactly right. I want I want everybody to do that. And uh I just want to thank you so much for your support. And, I, love, uh, for I, love, coming. I got
4: more lines. I love this one, too, on Golden Pond. Come here, Norman, hurry up. Balloons, the balloons, the they're welcoming us back. <laughs> well,
1: yes, on Golden Pond she did win an Oscar uh, for On Golden Pond. Well, she actually won for Morning Glory, The Lion in Winter, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and On Golden Pond.
4: And, and, and this isn't is that an so- actress who got horrible reviews. Uh, didn't Dorothy Parker write about her on Broadway when she played Coco? <laughs> Uh, Catherine Hepburn, ran the gamut of emotions from A to B. Yes, from A to B, and she was and she was dubbed box
1: office poison there for a while. She was one of the one of the actresses listed for box office poison. But you got to give her credit; she would buy up these properties, these plays, and she had the rights for for them. Yeah. You know, and you know what?
4: A little and, known trivia fact: Schubert Alley. There, Schubert Alley. She would park her car there so she could bolt out of the theater and head back to Connecticut. So she
1: was one of the few people who was allowed to park their car there. <laughs> she really—I don't know. She she knew where she was going, what she wanted to do, and uh, she pretty much didn't let anything stand in stand in her way. And she's given us so many wonderful uh, films and performances to appreciate and enjoy. She died on um, uh, at the age of 96 on June 29, 2003, and her birth. Her birthday is May 12, 1907. Wow. So um, there are some celebrations going on this month for her 105th uh, birthday, and I'm very honored uh, to have been uh, <laughs> lucky enough to have you and Catherine Houghton <laughs> on the show today <laughs> to help celebrate Catherine's yes, 105th Catherine birthday.
4: Who's Lombardo? <laughs> yes, Nancy Lombardo. Well, um,
1: I'm just... Uh, I'm so sorry that we don't have uh, more time, but I do want to thank you and Catherine Houghton and James Gold Harrison and Danny Dyer and Nikki Starr for all their help. And I want to thank uh, the folks at Blog Talk Radio for picking this uh, particular episode to feature as one of today's staff picks. I want to be sure and mention that. And uh, since we're <laughs> since we're running, since we are running out of time, I want to remind everyone to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L realtalkreviews.com, and to come back next week for um, a discussion with Jesse. Uh, Bagay, who's an independent filmmaker, he's going to talk about his movie, his new comedy, Cellmates, about a Ku Klux Klan, Klansman and a Mexican laborer sharing the same cell, and I think that'll be a great episode. So, so don't miss it. Now, because Catherine Hepburn once summed up her personal philosophy with this advice: "Listen to the song of life." Here's Gene Kelly to close the show by helping us do just that.
0: and I'm happy again I'm laughing at clouds Dark up above The sun's in my heart And I'm ready for love Let the storm stormy clouds chase Everyone from the place Come on with the rain I will smile I walk down the lane with a happy refrain Just singing, singing in the rain Dancing in the rain I'm happy again I'm singing and dancing in